Welcome to the Leadership Secrets Podcast, where we bring you no BS, practical advice from the experts that are doing it. Now, here's your host, Lee Lissomby. All right, welcome to the Leadership Secrets Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I have a, uh, as usual, I have a guest on this episode. Uh, Kind of partial, as you know, to manufacturing. Uh, I've always had manufacturing people on, and I don't know if that's always the the right answer. Cause I know a lot of my listeners have a maybe not in manufacturing, so they want to learn more about other industries. Uh, Leslie Holloway is a lawyer who's in. She's managed a law firm for the last six years. Uh, crazy thing about her intro that it's hard to believe. She has 90 plus employees, but 45 direct reports. That's the most I've ever heard of. So Leslie is definitely a leader who is doing it. And as we talk about a lot on here, this is the no BS podcast. We're not bringing you consultants and coaches to talk about doing it. A lot of people talk about doing it, but very few are actually out there doing it. And Leslie is one of those who are actually doing it. And she's from uh the great state of Texas, which is even better. Uh, Leslie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you being on. Uh, your story is very inspiring. Uh, we got into your story quite a bit last week. Uh, I can't wait to share it with our with our audience here. And I know we're going to get a lot out of it, but if you don't mind, just kind of go through a little bit about you, what you've done, what you're currently doing, You know, some passions maybe of yours. Yeah, so um, as you said, I manage a law firm. It's a personal injury firm that I have managed for the last six years. I've actually been with the firm for 15 years, started just as a regular associate and sort of worked my way up. Uh, And um, I am really passionate about mentoring attorneys, which is something that's really hard to find in the legal field. Um, A lot of attorneys and the more senior level think when they hire new attorneys, it's like, well, you're a lawyer, so figure it out. And they're not really interested in mentorship. Uh, so, so that is my passion is trying to help young attorneys find their role in the legal world, uh, become better attorneys, have a great reputation as an attorney. I think that's important. And, uh, so that's something I work on a lot at my firm. Yeah, we, we talked about that last week a little bit. Really, and when you reached out to me originally, you uh, mentioned you subscribed to the Leaders Eat Last, uh, I guess, philosophy. I don't know how she put that, which is one of my favorite books. I love that book. I think it, there's so much value in that book. Uh, it kind of got me started on my personal development, professional development habits. Uh, this curious can you explain kind of like why, why, maybe why did you put that in that uh, message? What, what's your thoughts on leader eats, leaders eats last? Sorry, I can get that out. <laughs> well, I think that um, I've always sort of subscribed to that philosophy. And then when I found that book and really all of Simon Sinek's um, philosophies that he puts out there, it really resonated with me. I started my very first job at age 13, which was, maybe not legal at the time, but uh, I was waiting tables at a really small little 
restaurant in my hometown that was a deli in a hardware store. And, um, you know, so I came from sort of a service, customer service type background. And I think that the idea of leaders eat last just sort of jumped out to me coming from that customer service industry and, you know, waiting tables pretty much all the way through law school. Um, you know, the idea of being sort of service to your staff, to the people that you're supposed to be leading, um, you know, it's just a personal philosophy I've always had. So yeah. when I found that book, it really, really resonated. Yeah, I tell you, that book came around right at the perfect time for me in my career. You know, I was in the military, uh, and Simon Sinek wrote a lot of that book about uh, mil examples from the military. And I never, I never really thought about it in those terms, how because Simon can put things in the best, the best stories, the best way. I mean, it's just man, it's powerful how he writes. And I, I was in a, a company that decided to not allow the frontline uh, employees uh, at, at Christmas parties. They said it was too risky. It was only going to be the managers at, at the Christmas party. And I was thinking back to my military time and how the Christmas party was all about the officers serving the enlisted and thanking the enlisted for all they done throughout the whole year. And it was one of the most powerful moments because I was a junior enlisted person kind of climbing the ranks and to talk to the CO, the XO, the my division officers, all these people who were powerful in our command. You know, it was just, it was a magical moment for me. And then when the CEO of a company tells us we're no longer allowing anyone but managers at the Christmas party, I was like, then right then that Leader Eats last book came out. I was like, this is, this is perfect. And I think more people could get I think a lot of people should read that book, if not everyone who's in a leadership position. Uh, so one of the things we're, we're big about on this podcast is personal development and really habits around personal development. Do you have any personal development habits? Sure. I um, Well, I'm a mom of two, so it is challenging to carve out time for oneself when you're working full time and mothering full time. But uh, I do have a, a habit. I walk every single day and that's something that I just don't compromise on. So typically my morning is really rushed, getting the kids ready for school, getting them out the door, but I walk them to school and then I just continue on with my walk and I make sure I get at least two miles a day. And during that time, I usually listen to either podcasts or an audiobook. Yeah. So it's kind of my time for both physical and mental development. Uh, and I just have to be efficient about it because I don't have a lot of time and a lot of hours during the day. But I really think that that uh, physical development in the morning in particular is important. And I got that from uh, Bonnie St. John, who was who I heard uh, speak at an event. She's a um, a former Olympic skier. And she talks about resilience and um, she actually lost her leg uh, as a young child. And she's got a fascinating story. But anyway, she talks about just 10 minutes of exercise in the morning is enough to sort of kickstart your brain, get the juices flowing. And yeah. so I've always taken that to heart. And uh, so, you know, getting that physical activity, particularly when you're at a desk job where you're sitting most of the day, uh, super important for me to, to keep that habit and keep it consistently. 
Walking's great. Like I, I love morning walks. Uh, I don't do it all the time, but when I do, it's I feel like the mornings is so much better. Because you got through a nature, it's just peaceful. It's I don't know, your whole soul feels better when you get back. I feel like. Yeah, I agree, and it's good to get it done first thing in the morning too, just so that your day doesn't get away from you. <laughs> yeah, and it's not so hot during Dallas area. Right. Right. <laughs> get pretty yeah. hot in the afternoon. Oh well. So, uh, by the way, like moms who have kids who work jobs like yours, I, I was just so impressed by that. And there's a lot going on. Like, I feel bad for my wife because she has a job as well, and it's, it's so much to do like all the time. I, I try to help here and there, but she's so much better at it than I am. Like, but that's a uh, pretty inspiring that you still have time for that. How about per? Uh, so you mentioned podcasts when you're walking. Do you have any other like professional development habits? I know you're a lawyer and got a lot of stuff on that end of the spectrum to do. Well, as lawyers, we're required to do continuing legal education, so I have to do that every year. And it's 18 hours. It includes ethics, so I have to not only keep my legal skills up to date, but I also really believe in sort of constant growth and learning. Um, I really try to teach my kids about having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. Uh, in you know, I'm, I'm telling them when they say I can't do this, I'm always like, well, you can't do it yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's real important to to say that yet, so they have this idea that that they can grow and learn. And I feel that way about um, my own personal, my own personal beliefs and, and my own brain, I, you know, I feel like it can still grow. It doesn't matter, you know, how old you get, um, you still can learn, you still can learn new things, maybe not, not as easily or your neuroplasticity in your brain isn't quite as adept as a child. But, um, you know, I really believe that we can constantly keep learning. So I'm, yeah, podcasts are a great resource because you can get a lot of information in a in a short episode. Uh, but I also really, you know, audiobooks are a big thing for me just because I can listen when I'm doing my walk in the car. Um, I love to read, but as a lawyer, you're always reading. So <laughs> sitting down to read a book is sort of uh, cumbersome at the end of the day. Um, I always say I'll never need Ambien as long as nonfiction exists <laughs> because it just will knock me right out at the end of the day. But um, but no, audiobooks I think are a great resource. Um, so I usually uh, listen to books on not just leadership, but but sort of all you know all different areas, um, it, it, particularly the study of just humans and how we work. I'm glad you mentioned audio books. That's, that's the only way I consume material that and podcasts, I guess, and YouTube videos, but I, I struggle with dyslexia. I, I wrote, the, wrote about this in my, uh, one of my LinkedIn posts once, but I was a D student, uh, through like third or fourth grade, just struggled. And still to this day, I, I cannot sit down and read a book. I mean, I can if I have to, but I get so distracted because I have probably ADHD along with dyslexia, but, uh, Man, audiobooks. I wish I had it when I was a kid. It's a uh, like you're saying, you, you can fit it in, like in the gym, you're walking, your vehicle. There's just so many different ways to consume it. But. So you came a managing partner six years ago. Uh, how did that go? Were, were you provided any kind of training? I'm sure there was some sort of training to to go along with that. But there was, were you taught how to be a leader, or did you teach yourself that? 
Diane Dubber. So yeah, absolutely not. I got no training. <laughs> I got, yeah. you know, no guidance um, except for the examples that have been set for me. Uh, and I learned a lot of what not to do from some of the people that had come before me. Um, you know, I think that that is a big gap in, in the workforce. I think you've talked about this before. You just happen to be the person that's good at the job mm -hmm. and, you know, you get moved up because you were good at the job. And so that doesn't necessarily make you a leader. Uh, right. You work hard and you outwork everyone, which is pretty much what I feel that I did. Uh, I had to do a lot of advocating for myself to get my leadership roles. But, you know, once I got there, it was like, okay, here's the role and what are you going to do with it? <laughs> so uh, I had to take a lot from my background in customer service, which I think was really helpful. Um, you know, when I was working in restaurants, I was a trainer. So I think uh, being in leadership roles there sort of helped. And uh, like I said, I, I learned a lot of what not to do. And then I just made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think that you can't be afraid to do that. Um, and then I just, you know, started consuming information about leadership and, yeah. and, and learning about it, really. Okay. Well, that, I think that's such a common example that I've seen is that I know we, we fell at it all the time and my and companies I've worked at and I really had to take owner and ownership on a lot of that because I'm the one who's putting these people in, in management positions and then training them how to do the administrative side of work, but not how to lead a team of people. And sometimes I assume people are like you that they're going to consume the information, the material and, and self-improvement, uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, so you're super busy. <laughs> I can just imagine how busy you are. Like you're totally like you amazed me just by some of the stories you told me, uh, all the stuff you got going on. But as far as productivity, because I feel like a lot of new managers, especially, struggle with time management. Do you have do you have any productivity hacks or uh, ideas or help or advice maybe you can give new managers? Well, I'd say for first and foremost. When I get to the office, the first thing I do is I leave my phone in my purse. And I know that sounds really simple, but the phone is such a distraction to everybody these days. And so first half hour, hour, I don't even look at my phone. I leave it in my purse. I read somewhere that for every time you pick up your phone, it takes you about two to three minutes to get back on track. <laughs> so just having that distraction is, is a huge productivity hindrance. Yeah. Um, so I definitely leave it in my purse. Um, I try to work in sort of 20, 25 minute bursts too, uh, yeah. where I'm just really focused. And then I can kind of give myself a mental break. I don't think, you know, people just can't grind away for hours and hours as much as we'd like to think that we could, our, our brains just can't do it. And so, um, you know, sitting at a desk job, like I do, I, I try to really focus for a short amount of time and then give myself a little mental break. Um, the other thing I do is I work better with a little bit of brown noise. And I know a lot of people have heard of white noise. I don't know if you've heard of brown noise. It's sort yeah, of similar. Cool. It's got um, it's got a little more bass to it. So it's okay. more like a like a, 
a river or something, but um, studies have shown that it, it increases your focus and can increase productivity. So I just like a little bit of brown noise in the background sometimes. I think that really, really helps. For people with ADHD, they've talked about it really helping uh, people who suffer from that. So I think that um, just a little bit of that noise can kind of help me focus a little bit more. That's the first time I've ever heard of brown noise. <laughs> yeah, you really should. Um, I had always, I, my kids sleep with white noise and they have since they were babies. It's, it's, you know, just something that they tell you to do as a new parent. And so we always implemented it, but then I ran across the idea of brown noise and it, uh, it seems to work well for me. So I would, I would definitely suggest that as a productivity hack. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I asked that question. Sometimes I, I skip that question because it's it's kind of an awkward question and some people don't really know how to answer it, but brown noise, that might be a game changer for me because I definitely struggle there. So is my oldest son. He's he's as bad as I am with ADHD. Uh so uh your career has been, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but you look very young and to be in this position you are right now with managing 45 reports is incredible, but uh, managing a law firm, a pretty big law firm at that. But I know with success comes failure and with failure comes success. Uh, can you give us some, maybe some maybe examples of failures and how you overcame them in your career? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm 42, so I don't have any qualms saying that. <laughs> uh, I think it's a blessing to age. So uh, after, you know, losing my parents, I very much believe that. Um, and uh, yeah, I have definitely failed in a lot of ways. So um, I think my biggest failures usually come from communication issues. Uh, it's not that I don't want to communicate, but sometimes getting so wrapped up in the day to day, um, you know, or trying to rush through and, and you know, find that productivity, uh, the communication side of things sort just sort of suffers. Um, I can think of one, one example, primarily, I, um, I tend to not take action on problem employees soon enough. And I think that that is probably my biggest fault as a, as a leader and as a manager, yeah. um, you know, really getting that feedback from other employees, because you have to listen to other employees who see someone who's not being productive or not carrying their fair share of the load, because, um, you know, that makes other employees resentful. So if they see somebody who's slacking, who's not doing their job, who's on their phone, who's, you know, taking personal calls, um, they become resentful because they're doing their work and this person's not, and it affects the entire team. So I think um, I had an employee one time and, you know, I had some people coming to me and saying, she's on her phone, she's doing this. And I really wanted to be procedurally, you know, correct. And like, okay, we need to catch, we need to catch her on the phone. I need to do corrective action plan. I need to do all this. And I just drug it out too long. And a lot of the other employees, uh, you know, got resentful. So I should have really addressed that situation uh, quicker. Yeah. And really, you know, jumped in and been a little bit more aggressive about that because um, the other employees were suffering 
because I wasn't doing that. So right. really a lack of communication on my, my part. I've always heard, you know, fire fast, hire slow. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, firing someone's just the worst, <laughs> you know, I never relish that. And so I'm, I'm kind of constantly looking at ways to rehabilitate someone in the workplace when perhaps I shouldn't, perhaps they're just not a good fit for that particular job. Um, and so, you know, that's probably where my biggest failures come from is, is the lack of communication and, and the lack of, you know, taking action once employees are communicating with me that someone's not carrying their weight. That's the hardest one to do too. I mean, that's, I think a lot of us, I know I've <clears throat> failed there many a times in the past. That's, that's a tough one. But you're right, you get what you accept. So if you accept, you know, low performance or whatever it may be, or breaking policies, I mean, that's what you'll continue to get. And yeah. uh, it's so hard. I, uh, I always try to be too good, too nice to people. Uh, not, it's not that I'm not nice as a person. I just, I don't like conflict. So it's, that's a, that's a struggle. Glad you yeah. mentioned it, though. Yeah. So most of our uh, audience is, I would say, new leaders or frontline leaders. That's kind of where we spend most of our time. And But if you were to give any advice to a new leader, what would it be? Well, I would I would say definitely start educating yourself and start looking for um, resources that can help you on this journey, whether that be leaders that you admire, that you've known, start reaching out to talk to them, you know, a former boss that you really enjoyed working for and, you know, just reach out with a quick email and say, Hey, I just got this new leadership role. I could really use some help. Um, you know, um, I think like, like we mentioned before, podcasts are such a good resource now for people. There's so many great ones out there. Um, one of my particular favorites is work life with Adam Grant. He's a, an organizational psychologist and, uh, he sort of studies different companies and really gets into their culture and why their successes work. And I think listening to that, you know, these are totally different fields. They're not related to the law. Um, but for me, just hearing some of the things that other people do, that make them successful uh, is really inspiring for my own organization. So I would say new leaders definitely need to start looking for those resources, whether it be people, books, podcasts, um, you know, just don't think that you can do it on your own from your own internal resources. <laughs> Cause that's usually not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen a lack of people wanting to help. If you reach out to them, I've never had a time in my career anyway that, I was struggling and I reached out and someone wouldn't help me. So there's always people there. It's one team, one fight. And so we're all in it together. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, great answer. <laughs> so we, uh, you mentioned a little bit about books and we're big about reading books. I always recommend books to people. Uh, I, I have two hard copies of two books. I actually interviewed this guy. I haven't posted the podcast yet. Uh, Jim Hewling, the four disciplines of execution. He was on my show last week. And uh, this is my all-time favorite leadership book, uh, It's Your Ship. You know, I, 
I think I'm biased because I'm former Navy, but I think the lessons in here is extremely powerful. Uh, so, but I also have some other books I recommend, uh, mostly uh, John Maxwell books. But if you were to recommend a book or two to a new leader to read from the very beginning, you know, maybe a new leader, let's, let's say, what book would that be? You know, I, I initially want to say really anything by Simon Sinek because he's so great, you know, start with why or leaders eat last. But I think also you have to be willing to look at books that aren't necessarily about leadership, but are more about people because and how people work. Because as you've mentioned, a lot of people write books on leadership, but they're not doing leadership. They're not actually dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. So I like to read books. Um, one that I, I just finished that I love was um, Quiet. It's about the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. <laughs> and okay. that's an amazing book because it's really talking about the dynamics of extroverts and introverts and how we need both and how both are um, successful. A lot of leaders of companies think Steve Jobs, introvert. Um, you know, so a lot of people that end up in leadership CEO type roles are not necessarily extroverts, even though that's sort of what society prizes. Uh, so I like to look at books like that just to, um, you know, think about the ways that people are different and uh, how we can get the most out of the people that are on our team. Uh, the other book that I really like is um, a, a book that I, I just finished actually called um, uh, Humor Seriously. Um, and it is about having more humor in the workplace. I think that uh, it talks about bridging the gaps between um, gravity and levity. And just because we're doing serious things doesn't mean we have to take ourselves so seriously. Um, a study found that leaders who use humor are 27% more motivating. So and <laughs> leaders who use humor are 27% more motivating. And the two ladies that wrote this book, uh, they teach uh, about using humor in leadership at Stanford. And so it's, you know, it, it's not a field that you would think really coincides with leadership. But I think that it's important to look, you know, sort of outside the box, I guess, when we're talking about how to become leaders. So for all the Simon Sinek, for all the, you know, Sheryl Sandberg lean in sort of books, I think that you also have to balance that with books just about the way that people work, because that's really what you're trying to get as a leader. You're trying to get to how people work and, and how to get your environment to be conducive to not just one type of leadership, right? You, you know, everybody's got different personalities. So um, it's really getting the best from each person. Gotcha. Do you read much uh, fiction? You know, uh, I love fiction and I don't really read much of it anymore. I think the last one I read was The Martian, which I think yeah. was a, a movie with, uh, yeah. with Matt Damon. The book was great, by the way. <laughs> right. And Martian, yeah, it was good. That was a good movie. I've never yeah. read the book. So you mentioned introvert and extrovert. What, what would you classify yourself as? 
you know, I think I'm an ambivert. <laughs> I think I'm a little bit of both. <laughs> um, you know, obviously my background is in acting. And so I think that uh, I certainly don't mind getting on a stage. But what's interesting about, you know, introverts and extroverts is it's not necessarily about shyness. Barbara Streisand, for example, a terrible stage fright. So it's more about whether being around people energizes you or whether it drains you. And so for introverts, being around a big group of people or being, you know, uh, immersed in sort of a seminar for a few days, it's going to be exhausting to them. And they're going to need time to sort of recharge their batteries. Right. Whereas extroverts get really excited by that. They're like, you know, they love, love being around people. It really energizes them. So it, it, that book really gives you a different perspective on what it means to be an introvert and an extrovert. That was the book Quiet? Quiet. Okay. I got to put that on my list. I don't know why, but I always, uh, I always falsely assume this, but I see highly intelligent people like yourself, and I, I assume they're an introvert, but that's not always the case. Well, um, you know, I think that... It, it, that book just gives such interesting perspectives, but, you know, I think that <clears throat> intelligence, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with being extrovert, introvert, some, some interesting things about introverts, they actually did studies on their skin and they're actually more thin skinned than extroverts. Um, something like 90% of them are. And then they studied babies and they did things like pop balloons in front of them. And the babies that were highly reactive to those sounds and noises, those end up being the introverts uh, versus being extroverts. So it's just, it's just sort of fascinating um, the whole, the whole concept of it. So it's more about sort of reactions to the outside world dictate whether you're going to be an introvert or an extrovert, at least from early on when they're studying humans. So um yeah, intelligence, you know, I think is one aspect, but I think that it's more like your sensitivity to the world. Yeah. So. Good to know when you're managing people. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Have you ever done a DISC assessment, D-I-S-C? I haven't, no. It's like, well, it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs, but you're, you're classified as a D-I-S or C, D is being like a dominant driver personality. I is influencing, which is like the life of the party type person. Uh, S is stable, steady, which is like the best employees because they're always there, always reliable. And C's are uh, compliant, but they're like data driven. Like they, they're afraid of being wrong. Uh, but there's a lot of, I mean, it's so simple on the outside of it. If you go, if you describe it like that, but you get into the assessment, it's like 32 pages long and there's so much information there i can send you a code i'm a disc consultant by the way so i uh, do a lot of these and debrief people on them but once i saw mine and saw my wife's i automatically understood like, i wish i had this the first day of marriage because i've been trying to change her she's been trying to change me this whole time and now we're like wow we're just wired completely different and it's how we communicate the whole disc assessment is about communication skills and how we communicate with one another but also, kind of our fears, our blind spots are in there as well. But. Well, along, I would love to do that. And along those same lines, I would recommend um, Gretchen Rubin and her four tendencies. She does a four tendency yeah. quiz, and it's about how you meet inner expectations and outer expectations. And I have used that one in uh, work as well. And so 
talks about upholders who can meet inner and outer expectations, obligers who meet uh, readily meet outer expectations, but they have trouble meeting inner expectations. They have questioners yep. who are going to question all expectations and will meet expectations once they're satisfied <laughs> with their questions. And then yep. they have rebels and rebels just push and resist against all expectations. And interestingly, you mentioned your military background. She went and talked at West Point and she uh, expected at West Point that she would be speaking to a group of upholders. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, uh, the only upholder in the room was, was the teacher, was the commander. And the entire room was filled with rebels. Yeah. And it's the rebels are typically usually the smallest group of people. But what's where they sort of present themselves is in the military and in the police. And her her theory is, is that rebels just, they want structure and rules to sort of push against a little bit. So it's huh. good it's good to know about that sort of thing also when you're managing people. Like, what kind of person am I getting? Am I going to get a questioner and I need to satisfy their questions in order to get them to meet my expectations? Am I going to get a rebel who's going to want to push back a little bit? Am I, do I have an upholder who's just going to meet expectations no matter what? So um, what were you? Um, so you would think I, I get a lot of people that guess that I would be an upholder, but I'm actually an obliger. Okay. And so I, I readily meet outer expectations, uh, but have a, a harder time meeting inner expectations. And I think that's maybe because I prioritize outer expectations over my own inner a lot. So I will, you know, make sure everybody else is sort of taken care of first before I come to myself. But then that sort of goes back to that leaders eat last right. sort of philosophy as well. So. Right. Yeah, I, I think you'd be an S on the disc assessment too, and maybe an SC because they, they, they combine the, the uh, letters as well. So, man, I, I think I would definitely be a rebel. <laughs> for whatever reason, I fit very well in the Navy. Like I was like a poster child in the Navy, I think, but not so much outside. <laughs> maybe that's, I mean, what was that again? Uh, it's The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Tendencies. It's something you can take online. Yes, she's got a four tendency quiz online. Okay, four tendencies. I'll take it now. <laughs> All right, you, you mentioned Adam Grant in the uh, his podcast, uh, Work Life, and there's a. We talked about Simon Sinek, and by the way, I think Simon Sinek has been mentioned on every episode so far. I only have like eight episodes or nine now, but uh, I think everyone has mentioned Simon Sinek, uh, which is one of my favorite authors, so it's fun talking about him. But is there anyone else out there that, that maybe you follow on social media or podcast or YouTube that's sharing a good message that we should tune into? Um. You know, I think, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, she's great, especially, you know, as as a woman leader, which is a little bit different. Um, yeah. You know, we kind of come with our, our own set of, of problems and issues and, and strengths. I mean, everybody does. But, um, you know, she's great. Brene Brown, uh, she's got a lot of, of great messages that she puts on Instagram. Uh, you know, and she's got her Dare to Lead book. So, you know, as a woman, I do like to listen to these women leaders and sort of get their perspective as well. Um, 
so you know I think little snippets from Brene Brown everything she says I feel like is pretty inspiring um and and she's not just you know for leadership she's also great with parenting and and you know relationships and and I mean that's about a lot of what being a leader is is about relationships and how you relate to people so I think that that is is really good um you know, the other person that I really like is Sean Acor, and he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. And that's, again, something sort of atypical for, you know, what we're talking about with leadership. He's, it's not leadership per se, but I think when you're talking about personal development, um, his book on The Happiness Advantage it just sort of gives you a different perspective on what happiness is. And I think if you have a, a better understanding of that uh, as a person, you know, you, you don't, you want your people that are coming to work to be happy. You don't want them to come to work being like, I hate my job. I don't want to be here, you know, and sort of let's look at happiness in a, in a different way. It's not just always reaching for this goalpost, because if you look at happiness as sort of always, if I get here, then I'll be happy. If I get here, then I'll be happy. Um, you know, then you're never going to be happy because once you reach that goalpost, it's like, okay, well now what? Um, so, you know, he talks a lot more about the process and relationships and, and, uh, you know, he's got a, a Ted talk that's really great to listen to. So, um, you know, I think, you know, understanding yourself is, is a key to being a good leader as well. And so his book was, was really helpful for me in that, in that respect. Yeah. I've definitely seen that book. I'm not, I don't think I've read it, but I've, I know what you're talking about. You mentioned something really quick, and you don't have to answer this. I just, I'm curious because you mentioned the difference between uh, leadership for men and women. Uh, and I, I know I most of my direct reports were probably, it's probably 50-50 men and women. And it's been that way my whole career. Can you dive into that a little bit? What's, what's, what do men need to be aware of? Or what, what are the differences in your mind? when it comes to men versus women in leadership positions? Well, I think, gosh, we could probably like do a whole series on that. <laughs> Back up, start recording again, let's start over. But, you know, um, but it, well, I just think that, you know, women sort of feel differently about how they approach leadership than men. Obviously, there's a lot of history between men and women. And if you, women in particular, I think you are concerned about coming on too strong and how that's going to look. Um, you don't get the same sort of, well, a man's being, you know, a, an authoritative type of personality and she's just being, you know, awful to everybody. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, okay, well, I, I need to be a leader. I need to be strong. I need to be firm, but, you know, I also don't want to come across too aggressive because that's going to be looked on badly. I mean, women are sort of kind of constantly picking themselves apart, I think, in ways that men are not. And, and I don't know because I'm not a man, but um, I just feel like there's also sort of still in the legal world, especially um, something about just by the virtue of being a man you are automatically sort of given authority, whereas as a woman, you have to really work and earn it. So, and, you know, and you would not think that's the case in 2022, but, um, but, but it's still there. 
definitely. I have, I've had to work for my position, whereas we had partners at my firm that aren't there anymore because they, you know, didn't work out, but they did not have to work for the role in the same way that I did. They were just automatically given the role. And it's like, well, you are an attorney, you're a man, then you must be fit for this position. Whereas I had to go and advocate for myself and say, listen, I can be a great leader. I can be a great partner. I think I deserve a seat at this table. And, and I really had to have that conversation, whereas they did not. So I think that that is something, you know, that's just still out there in the world. Women have to be, you know, advocate for their themselves more. Um, and, you know, sort of figure out our own style of leadership. You shouldn't lead, like, I, I can't lead my organization the way that my partner led me. Yeah. He led me in a different way. And I come from a different generation that, you know, was definitely more do what I say. I expect my employee to jump when I say jump. You know, he, he had this different way of leading the organization that, than I have. And I think that my leadership style is, is definitely more conducive to what we're seeing now with the, the new, you know, generations coming in with uh, millennials, uh, you know, Gen Z entering the workforce. They definitely wouldn't respond the same way to my partner and how he bossed me uh, that I did. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think women have a lot of strengths. It's just a lot of them, you know, a lot of women are new to leadership roles, particularly in, in larger organizations. And uh, we have to play to our strengths for sure. Okay. Man, you said a lot of great stuff right there. <laughs> I've never even thought about it because I'm I'm pretty aggressive. But I mean, not, I don't know if I'm in a bad way, but I'm I'm the D in the disc. I'm a dominant, so I'm I'm always like I'm I'm full steam ahead all the time. I, I don't even care what people think most of the times, which I probably should more often. But I can imagine if I myself in you know a woman's shoes, you know, I probably could be seen a lot differently. And those are the things that you know it's it's good to hear those kind of things. <laughs> Well, I think you, I think as a man, you have to think, how am I going to get the best from my female employees and approaching them the same way that you approach a male employee may not be successful. And yeah. so, you know, there's, there's no one size fits all when it comes to leadership. I, I don't think you can say, well, I'm going to lead my team this way and everybody just better jump on board. You know, a lot, it's the same with how would I, how do I approach an extrovert versus an introvert? How do I approach a male versus a female? Because at the end of the day, if you want your company to be successful, you want to get the best out of all the people there. And so you might have to rethink your approach to women and what they respond to versus men and what they respond to. Right, right. So I'm, I'm thinking about my direct report. I have 16, uh, not nearly as many as you. But I think it's pretty evenly split 50 50. It may be like, you know, seven versus nine. I'm not really sure. But I know when we meet, I mean, I love the diversity just because the women's ideas and, you know, details behind certain initiatives, whether it's changing or changes or improvements we're making, I mean, their inputs are. I think as valuable, if not more valuable sometimes, because 
I don't think about in those terms all the time. I, I make decisions without a lot of data. And a lot of times they, I think, just looking back on it, they probably get me out, keep me out of a lot of trouble in terms of a lot of those type stuff just because they have the details. You know, <laughs> my wife always tells me I never read instructions, which I never do. And she's always the one reading their instructions, like, where's your instructions? I'm like, I threw them away. I don't have. <laughs> So. I think sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason, <laughs> and oh, yeah, that yeah. is pretty stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, I'm very stereotypical, but uh, you know, but we have to have that. I mean, I, like I'm saying, I, I think I've been dealt out more by women in my career than men, just because of those type of things. But that's that's a stereotype again. I don't want to think all women are that way, but right. Well, there's just I think it just goes to show there's room for both. There's room for people that are big picture people and there's room for people that are detailed oriented. And, you know, whether that's, you know, that men tend to be more big picture and women tend to be more details, that may be stereotypical because it's it's not the case for all in either in either of the sexes. But but yeah, there's definitely room for for diversity on teams because it gives you that different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, kind of end of our podcast. We we it's a leadership secret podcast. So we're always asking the last question: uh, Is the leadership secret? And basically, the leadership secret is what are great leaders doing that other other leaders aren't that should be. So what are the small few of the great leaders doing that others should be doing? And kind uh, of get your take. You know, do you have a leadership secret in that regard? Well. I think that just being authentic, I think showing your human side, showing your failures, talking about your failures openly is really important. I think too many leaders think, well, I have to be perfect and I have to set this perfect example of what leadership is. And I don't think that your team or your organization is going to relate to you if you don't show some of your authentic self. I remember, um, it wasn't long after my dad had passed and I was really struggling with that grief and sort of spinning a lot of plates all at once with work and with my kids and, you know, dealing with all of that. And I just blew it. I yeah. messed something up and I was just beating myself up about it. And I really, you know, I just put it out there. I just, I wrote a big long post and I, I, you know, I don't usually share a lot of personal stuff like that on, um, on social media, but I'm just like, today I failed. I failed with a capital F, <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, I got such a huge response to that from people more so than I think anything I've ever posted in my life. You know, normally it's a lot of just, here's my kids or here's a dog or, you know, uh, and um. I just sort of put that authentic piece of information out there and I got such good feedback because I think that's what people want to see. They want to see that you're human. You know, people look at me a lot and, and say, oh, you've accomplished so much or, or you've done this and that. I mean, I've also had a lot of failures and I think showing people that you're imperfect can get that sort of response as a leader. Look, here's how I've messed up and here's what you can learn from it. So you don't mess up. Uh, I'm happy to share those stories with my team, with my lawyers. I've given them anecdotal evidence. I've, I told them about my first trial where I just completely messed up when I was picking a jury and <laughs> totally didn't ask the right question. Um, 
you know, a big part of our model in personal injuries about pain and suffering. And I did not ask one question about pain and suffering to any potential juror. I just completely blew by it, which is a huge mistake on my part. And luckily the defense counsel came in behind me and when he was questioning the jurors, he asked about it. And I was just like, oh my God, why did I not ask this? <laughs> um, you know, but I tell my young attorneys about that because I want them to know, look, you know, everybody messes up. It's how we respond to it. It's how we, um, you know, what we learn from it. Uh, I, I think that's important. So I think being authentic as a leader is really important. And I think that's what really great leaders get right. They do. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, I, I just thought so many examples that you're saying that because I've, I've never thought about it in those terms, being genuine and authentic. I mean, obviously, it's part of it, but I mean, not so much that it's sort of forefront. You don't really read about that a lot in leadership books, I guess, but that is so true. I was thinking about, you know, I've only released a few leaders in my career, and some of them that I had to release were the ones that weren't that way. They're the ones who uh, maintained this image that everything was going great, and then uh, they, did, they didn't want any help from anybody else. And honesty and being genuine is, is a good piece of that well leslie uh we're to the end of our podcast the uh where can listeners follow you find you do you have a social you out there you want to put out or um yeah i mean i'm on instagram that's probably my biggest one i'm at leslie aaron 29 on instagram um i uh, I do want to say I have a, um, I have a scholarship that I created in honor of my dad. It's called the Curtis Holloway Memorial Scholarship, and it's for um, kids who come from single parent homes. I was raised in a single parent home. So um, if you just uh, Google that or um, Curtis Holloway Memorial Scholarship on bold.org, uh, if you know someone that wants to apply, that's closing um, in September, but I am going to redo it for the next year. So um you know, it's a great scholarship for kids. If anybody is moved by that story and wants to donate, you can also donate to that scholarship fund. Um, and then, you know, uh, if anybody ever has leadership questions, I'm always willing to help. And you can email me at leslie.holloway at benabbott.com, B-E-N-A-B-B-O-T-T. Okay. Excellent. Uh, that scholarship, so it's for single people who grew up in single family homes. Uh, is it for any type of degree or is it specific it's, to degrees? It's for people um, who are going to a four-year degree. Okay. Um, yeah, but any, it's not specific to law or um, you know anything in particular, just somebody who's uh, pursuing a four-year college degree. My dad helped me a ton when I was going to college and law school, and I'm just trying to, to give back. And um, scholarships helped me a lot as well. So just trying to do something to honor his memory. Okay. Can I leave that in the show notes, the link to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, perfect. Well, thanks so much, Leslie, for being on. He shared so much wisdom and dropped a lot of bombs here. So I appreciate that. Um, so glad you're on this episode and I uh, look forward to catching up with you down the road. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right, thank you. Have a good day. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Secrets Podcast. Please join us next time as we bring you more leadership secrets from the people who are actually doing it. See you soon.